a world of information, advice and support available 24-7. The best way to stay current with great ideas. Love and support. Uplifting and reassuring. A constant source of inspiration and positive thinking. Like a staff room without cynics. Gives you a sense of belonging. An unlimited resource. A very supportive bunch of like-minded people. The reason I'm where I am today. A source of mad sanity. And the crazy world of teaching. Feel the love. You're listening to the MFL Twitter RT podcast, the podcast celebrating the voices of languages teachers from around the world. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the MFL Twitterati podcast, the podcast aimed at language teachers wanting to find new ways of enhancing language learning with and without the use of technology. My name is Noah Geisel, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, co-host, podcast buddy, and mentor, at Joe Dale. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks. I celebrated my Twitter anniversary 12 years on Twitter this month, so uh, obviously that was my highlight. Congratulations. I I don't know what you're supposed to get people on their 12th anniversary, but I, I definitely... Missed out on my opportunity to send you some edible flowers. Well, there we are. Aside from your Twitter anniversary, what else has been on your radar this month? Well, obviously, one of the main radar moments for me in the last few weeks was the fact that we had the MFL Twitterati conference, uh, which went really, really well. It was amazing having all these amazing educators all together sharing their tips and tricks around the use of technology in the languages classroom. And I personally talked about the uh, the making of the MFL Twitter RT podcast, which is a presentation you can access right now if you would like at is.gd forward slash MFL Twitter RT podcast. And I also talked about the formative assessment tool, GoFormative, which um, I, interestingly enough, I went for a walk the other day on the Isle of Wight, which is where I live. And I was listening to episode 19 of the Educational Duct Tape podcast with, uh, of course, Jake Miller, who appeared on the last episode of our podcast. And he was interviewing uh, Corey Mathias about the use of formative assessment tools in the classroom. And he talked about GoFormative. So definitely worth checking out that episode as well. Awesome. And I love this. Uh, you know, it goes so well with your Twitter anniversary. The whole MFL Twitterati is clearly only possible thanks to Twitter. And it's just so cool that something that is born in this social media kind of digital PLN space gets to transform into something for face-to-face professional learning and growth with the MFL Twitterati conference. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, um, at the end of the conference, I created a Padlet um, called something like Takeaways from the MFL Twitterati conference. And the lovely Philippa McDonough 3, who was the first time I met her face-to-face at the conference, she tweeted this as her takeaway on Padlet. Hello, Joe. This is Pip here. Key takeaways for, for me were the text debate tool where there were some really interesting games that you could use as a structure to create an exercise. And I really liked the potential of TeachVid and GimKit or GymKit. I think the gamification was kind of a core strand that that ran through a lot of those approaches. Thank you very much. So, no, what about you? What's been on your radar recently? On a personal level, my radar has been all about Badge Summit, an all-day conference about digital badge credentials and access and equity and changing the world. It's a conference I organized June 22nd. Folks can check it out at facebook.com slash badge summit. Message me. I'll get you a discount code if you're able to be in Philadelphia on June 22nd. But that on a personal level has been a huge part of my radar right now. On the MFL Twitterati space, you know, something that's really been on my radar is Wakelet, which I first learned about this time last year from at Randall Sampson. 
And honestly, it first really struck me as a replacement for Storify. And it kind of got backburnered at the time. I didn't really play with it much. And then it just recently, through a presentation of yours, just checking out your slide deck, Joe Dale, I, it got back on my radar and I realized actually Wakelet is this really powerful tool that goes way beyond Storify. And, uh, you know, maybe you can share one of your examples of how you're seeing it used powerfully. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I use the, uh, the cast box uh, tip, which I gave in the last episode, whereby I did a search via episode for Wakelet. And then it brought up all the different um, educational podcasts of people talking about Wakelet. And that's how I got onto the Google Teacher Tribe episode talking about Wakelet. And I didn't realize um, I learned from that podcast that um, you're able to collaborate now on a Wakelet. I know it's in beta or beta, as you probably would say. But nonetheless, you know, I think that's a really, really exciting prospect for classroom use. The fact you can now collaborate on a Wakelet. So you could have, you could create a class Wakelet and you could get everybody to um, collaborate all together in the same space, which is awesome. And I've seen recently as well that they've added a Google Drive embed feature as well. So I've not actually checked this out, but I presume that means you could then add Google Docs or maybe even uh, audio files from Google Drive into Wakelet. But talking of audio and Wakelet, I came across a really amazing idea the other day searching for the uh, podcast EDU hashtag. And that was from Toddy TD, who had done an amazing hack with Wakelet and Spotify. So what he'd done was he'd taken the share links of his favorite podcast from Spotify and put them into a collection in Wakelet, which is, you know, run of the mill. But what he'd done that was interesting was he'd taken the embed code from Wakelet he then stripped out just the, the URL starting with embed.wakelet.com, etc. And um, what he then did was he took that, and then when he shared that via Twitter, etc., it meant that people could go to that link, and it had the link to the podcast, but also, which was really cool, was he had a player for the podcast, which if you click on that player, it plays the latest episode, which I just think is amazing. And for people who are having a difficult time picturing what Joe talking about in his head, it is really cool looking. It's very slick. And I'm really grateful that we were able to discover this hack because uh, it's a feature that probably ought to be native in Wakelet. Instead, right now, you have to hack your way to it. And if you need to figure this out on your own with more than just that quick explanation, Joe is going to have step-by-step instructions in our show notes. So just click the link and you'll have what we have. Piggybacking on that example of the collaborative feature, for teachers who, whose minds aren't already going there, one of the things that just gets me and Joe to really just jazzed about this is the idea of student ownership and student produced content in our language classrooms that for those of you who are playing in the open educational resources sandbox OER, you know, you might be thinking to yourself, whoa, this basically gives us the opportunity to have students own the process of creating their own textbook for my class using open educational resources that whether it's links, tweets, songs from Spotify, any resource you can find on the web, you can drop into this wakelet and then have class wakes where for whatever unit you're teaching in your class, here's all these resources curated by students. It's higher level thinking skills. And I just think it's really exciting and a big part of the future of amazing teaching and learning language classrooms. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And just to help people out to get an idea of how this all works, I've actually created my own personal wake based on Toddy TD's um, suggestion on my favorite educational podcast, some of which are the same as, as Toddy's. But um, yeah, if you want to check it out, uh, go to the show notes, the link's all there, and then you'll be able to have a listen to some of the educational podcasts, which I'm really listening to and grooving to at the moment. So now we've come to the MFL Twitterati takeaway section of the podcast. And those people who've been listening to the podcast uh, right from the very beginning will know that this is when we talk about a tweet which particularly resonates with us. So, Noah, what's been a tweet which has resonated with you recently? 
Do you know, I'm going to cheat a little bit on my tweet, Joe Dale, and go with actually a hashtag, and that is hashtag highlight real, R-E-A-L, and I'm going to let somebody speak to it way better than I can. That's Sarah Elizabeth. Hi, MFL Twitter audience. This is at S.E. Cottrell. You know how when we're looking through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, even YouTube, it looks like other teachers have it all right. They have the best visuals. They have awesome lesson plans. They even have great hair. And we forget that that's the highlight reel. It's the best of the best. It's understandably great ideas that run really well, and so they want to share it. But there's also been a movement of teachers who want to talk about just getting honest with everything from bad hair days to thrown together bulletin boards to lesson plans. I think the hashtag highlight reel, R-E-A-L, was originally started by at PRHS Spanish, which is Meredith. And it's just a way for us to say, hey, I face real things like you. I mess up too. My kids struggle to engage with my maybe poorly chosen content. They fall asleep. The copier dies. The Wi-Fi goes down. The fire alarm gets pulled. And I struggle too. Feel free to keep sharing out all your wins. But also don't be afraid to share when maybe things go a little awry. And it'll help the rest of us understand that you have real days like we do. Share it and use the hashtag highlight real, R-E-A-L. I don't know about you, Joe Dale listeners, but I have goosebumps, teacher bumps or goosebumps for teachers. I have teacher bumps right now just listening to Sarah Elizabeth describe that because so much of what we see on social media is this bright, polished, shiny, you know, Instagram filter of what teaching is, can be, should be, right? And here we have teachers on hashtag highlight real, R-E-A-L, sharing the bumps, the bruises, the skinned up knees and bloody elbows. And I think we need that too. And, and so I just cannot love that more. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, it really resonates with me um, when Sarah Elizabeth talks about the highlight reel hashtag. It was the first one I'd heard about that, but that's the great thing about us two collaborating together. We, we get to learn from each other, and it's just it's fantastic. It's also fantastic to bring in educators from the States as well to maybe a new audience to uh, to listeners in the UK. So, yeah, it really it gave me goosebumps as well. It, it really resonated with me, and I just thought it was it was lovely, and I would love to see some of the MFL Twitter RT uh, members using the highlight reel hashtag as well. Yeah, great stuff. Awesome. Sounds like a good challenge. <laughs> Talking of the importance of keeping things real in languages, Nick Mayer, who teaches languages in Dulwich College in London, he came up with the idea of coming up with a new exam called Real Lives. And this is particularly aimed at learners in, say, year 10. So that's when they're sort of 15 years old, just before they do their GCSE exams or the the national exams that we do in the UK. Uh, Nick's going to talk a little bit about this now, but I think it's a really fantastic and interesting idea. So for those people who are interested in taking part in the exam, the deadline is in June, so you've still got time to do that. And um, if you want to find out more information about the exam, if you go to the Chartered Institute of Linguists, there's plenty of information there, including a sign-up form. Over to Nick. Hi, my name is Nick Mayer. I'm a secondary school teacher of languages in the UK. I'm very pro-languages. That's not necessarily true for all of the students I teach. They want to communicate, but they see modern foreign languages as being something that doesn't give them this. I've attempted to find a solution, and that is to make a multiple-choice listening exam called Real Lives. It's administered by the Chartered Institute of Linguists. It's roughly European reference A2 level, so suitable for 15, 16-year-olds. It's really real life. That is to say, last year, the first situation was a sinking ship. You're the Coast Guard. How many people on board? 
how many people injured, how many people dead. You've got to get the right longitude and latitude to send out the rescue mission. And if you don't, you can see that it's obviously going to be severe consequences. Pupils like it because they like the multiple choice exam format. Teachers like it because if in year 10, age 15, they can pass this, they're likely to get a grade four in GCSE or better. It's a great stepping stone. It exists in French, German, Spanish, but also this year in Russian, Chinese, Arabic, Welsh and English. It costs £18. If you're in the UK, it'll be free for 300 candidates nationally. And if you are disadvantaged, you can make a case for having it at £9. Exam is Wednesday the 19th of June. Full details on the CIOL Real Lives website. Thank you. Awesome stuff to hear about that from Nick. Also, I encourage folks to check out the Apple exam, which is a comparable speaking exam that provides teachers with great data at a similar price point offered by ACTFL.org. And with that, Joe, Dale, let's take it to your takeaway for episode five. So my takeaway for this episode is all about the fact that when big tech companies make little changes to their software, it can actually have a big impact on the workflow or the muscle memory of users. I've got a really fantastic example that we're going to hear about right now, which is when Apple decided in iOS 12.1 to swap the globe key, which is the one that you use to change the language, obviously very popular with linguists, with the 123 key, which allows you to take you to the second keyboard. And here's GGF underscore GERF and underscore send your backs to tell us all about the purgatory they went through when Apple made this change. Hi, I'm at GGF underscore JERF. Up until last year, I was a complete techno dinosaur. I'm still not great, but I have been dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century. You see, my school uses iPads. Every pupil, every teacher. Hashtag MFL Twitterati has been my saviour. It's been so good to know that there are so many people out there with great ideas, friendly people, like-minded people who will share their ideas and tips. For example, I realized I wasn't the only person dealing with the keyboard change on iOS 12, if that's what you call it. Problem was, the old keyboard was ingrained in my muscle memory. And up until last week, I wasted 30 minutes of my life re-recording, re-editing mistakes. I'm an old dog. It was a new trick. Anyway, thankfully, they've changed it back and life resumes. So what will I do with those regained 30 minutes of my life? Well, of course, I'll scroll through MFL Twitterati and gather up more tips. So when the issue first arose, it was quite annoying because the icons had switched, you would tap where it used to be, and you would end up tapping emojis. Now, my iPad's quite old, so it's a bit slower. So it takes ages for the keyboards to turn back. And by ages, I mean a couple of seconds, but I mean, still, it's quite annoying. But now the icons have switched back, I find myself tapping on where it used to be when it updated to iOS 12 because I've adapted to how it was, which is even more annoying because it takes forever for the keyboard to switch back. But I think I'll get used to it. The MFL Twitterati Podcast is brought to you by Linguiscope. Linguiscope.com is an award-winning language learning website trusted and used daily by thousands of schools worldwide. When your school subscribes to Linguiscope, students get access to a wealth of interactive activities in a dozen different languages with over 140 topics covered. The games can be played on interactive whiteboards, computers, or on tablets. There are free apps students can download on their own devices. All students and staff can log in both from school as well as from home, making it ideal for homework too. The website also contains a host of resources to make teachers' lives easier, from printable worksheets to customizable interactive games templates. 
If Linguascope is new to you, then you'll feel like all of your Christmases have come at once. Teachers truly find Linguascope.com invaluable, and you will soon notice the positive impact on your students' motivation and learning. But don't take our word for it. Visit Linguascope.com and click on Learn More to find out what the website has to offer. We guarantee that you will fall in love with Linguascope. Thank you so much to Linguascope for your support of the MFL Twitterati podcast. And we are on to the show and tell segment of this month's episode where we are focused on mnemonics. And Joe, before we dive into examples from the MFL Twitterati of how they're using mnemonics to help students prepare for exams, can you just make sure that everybody knows what a mnemonic even is? Okay, so I went onto Wikipedia, as one does when one is looking for definitions. <laughs> and according to Wikipedia, a mnemonic is the following. So a mnemonic is a learning technique that aids information retention or retrieval remembering. Mnemonics made use of elaborative encoding, retrieval cues, and imagery as specific tools to encode any given information in a way that allows for efficient storage and retrieval. Mnemonics aid original information in becoming associated with something more accessible or meaningful, which in turn provides better retention of the information. And, you know, the one that I always think of for that, Joe Dale, is, you know, whenever things get too complicated, I go straight to the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. Great example now. And obviously, I won't take that too personally. Moving on very quickly, what we're going to do now is we're going to listen to a whole batch of different MFL Twitterati members talking about mnemonics that they use personally in their classrooms that are tried and tested. And a lot of these are around sort of writing ideas and reading ideas. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to name all the people who are going to be contributing to the next section and then play all the audio back to back. So you won't hear from myself and Noah for about 20 minutes, obviously a good thing. And then we'll then wrap up at the end. So we're going to hear in this section from Chart, Senorita McCarthy, Miss Edmondson, Miss Newham, Maisie Moo 3009, John McGee Joe, Frau Chid, MHS Langs, Hannity 24, Sir Robert MFL, MFL Teacher 2, Senorita Iglesias, Chris MFL, T and L, and finally, Miss McConville. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to this tiny little segment of the MFL Twitterati podcast. My name is Chris Hart, and on Twitter, you'll find me at at chart, so at C-H-A-R-T-E. And I am a teacher of French and Spanish, taught that for about 18 years, and now I do a lot of work consulting with different schools here in Australia, where I'm based, and overseas, and also working with Google for Education on technology and leadership. So I'm going to share with you a resource that weirdly is about 10 years old, if not even older than that, and it is a mnemonic. And the mnemonic is un avocat, which is a kind of um, a French-focused mnemonic, but actually it's pretty useful to be used in any language. And essentially it stands for U for understand the question, N for negatives, A for adjectives, V for variety, O for opinions, C for connectives, A for accuracy, and T for tenses. And I would use this an awful lot with my, particularly my GCSE and A-level students to really make sure that when they were writing or speaking, they brought in a really strong, large variety of language into the work that we were doing. I made sure that this was blown up into a big A2 poster on every classroom at Cranington Learning Village where I used to work. And also we had a digital version. Now, when I was hunting down the digital version, which was clickable with some examples, unfortunately, it was on a VLE back in the days, which has now disappeared. So I'm very disappointed that I couldn't find that. But essentially, the idea behind mnemonics, I think, is a useful one. The problem being is that sometimes we've become so focused on the mnemonic itself that we might actually forget the purpose of it. And this anavoca was just a purposeful way to try and get kids to write with more variety um, based on the understanding of the question. Make sure you know what you're going to write about and then make sure you include a variety of things. I hope that's useful and I hope you get some uh, use out of it. And I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. 
My name's Kat McCarthy and I was asked by Joe to talk briefly about my avocados display. I first came across the acronym being used via Twitter and Facebook while training in 2016. I couldn't remember where it came from in the first instance, but Joe tells me he first heard of its use from Chris Hart, so I'll take his word for it. Basically, avocado covers adjectives, verbs, opinions, connectives, adverbs, detail, meaning intensifiers and those sort of things, and OMG phrases. Last year, one of my directors created a learning map based on the avocados, and discussing with her, we realised that adding an S on the end would enable us to include sequences as well. I then went about putting these together as a display because one of my training schools while on PGCE had connectives, time phrases and the like on the walls and they were constantly referred to in lessons which meant that pupils used them in their own work really successfully. So as an eager NQT last year I went at it in earnest and spent an unreasonably long time putting it together and lining the walls with it. I now refer to the display daily. It's had a huge impact on my students. They now use it to add more variety to the vocab they use when writing and speaking. So it's really exciting when students are using phrases like si fuera posible without a second thought because they're so used to it now. I like to use it mostly while dictating phrases in English, which pupils translate into Spanish on mini whiteboards, building up to create model paragraphs together before independent writing. It means that I can introduce higher level structures early on, knowing that they'll be second nature for students once they reach GCSE. Hi, I'm Agnes Edenston, an MFL teacher based in Surrey in England. I've come up with an acronym called BUST, which I've been using with all of my pupils from Key Stage 3 and 4, to help improve their confidence when facing any form of question, in their speaking in their writing papers, and then to help improve the structure. B stands for box your verb. U, underline the key noun. S, circle and swap the possessive adjectives. And T, tenses and time phrases. In the first step, pupils must box the verb in the question. At this point, pupils are then tasked to swap the verb into the correct form in order to answer, generally from the second person singular to the first person singular. At this point, we tend to also brainstorm other verbs that they could use in order to answer this bullet point. U, underline the key noun. This helps pupils to focus on the key message of that bullet point or that question to ensure they are accurately answering the bullet point. S, the circle and swap of possessive adjectives, is something I found was a common error with my pupils where they would copy across the possessive adjective to or vous and then use that in their own writing. Just helps to ensure that they are focusing on that tiny error. And T, tenses and time phrases. We've been using this in order to make sure that all three time phrases and tenses are used throughout their writing. And then for the higher students, they are able to incorporate any others, just helping to focus again on the grammatical accuracy. Hi, my name is Miss Noonan and Joe has asked me to share with you all one of my GCSE revision resources that I put on Twitter this year in order to aid GCSE revision in the run up to the exams. Now, one of these resources is called Assassin Phrases. The word assassin is an acronym that I wrote in order to aid memorisation of complex structures based on my students' knowledge of infinitive verbs. And the acronym reads as follows. A, à l'avenir, je vais. S, samedi, j'ai décidé de. S, si j'ai le temps, j'irai. A, afin de. S, si j'avais su, j'aurais choisi de. S, si j'avais le choix, je voudrais. I, il faut que je fasse. And N, nous allons devoir faire. And you can see that each structure 
just requires the student to add on any infinitive verb that they like in any topic that they might have to write about or speak about in the writing or the speaking exam. So it's very adaptable for any of any topic. Now, students don't need to know all elements of the acronym, but if they can master two or three, especially the C clauses, then they will be able to develop much more complex sentences in their 90 and 150 word answers in their exam. If you'd like to know more about the resources that I've published on Twitter, both in French and in Spanish, then do follow me at Miss Newham. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Adele Nutt, and I've been using the mnemonic DOTI with my students for the picture-based task of the French GCSE. I spotted it on Twitter a few months ago. I believe it was the idea of Nat Wilcox originally, so I'm very grateful to her. At my school, most of Year 11 do a language, and I have two bottom sets in French whose targets grades are three to five. There are varying levels of uh, hard work and motivation, and I'd come across Palm W earlier in the year at a network meeting as a mnemonic to help describe the photograph on the picture-based task. And I've been really impressed with how well the, even the, the least able students had remembered that and they could use that really well. But I was worried that the remaining four bullet points on the foundation tier picture-based task would leave them struggling. And because they sometimes have a lack of confidence, sometimes they just give up. So I tried DOTI. Now DOTI stands for description, opinion, tense, tense. And then the why, I couldn't remember what that stood for. So my student said, well, it can stand for why, miss, the question why. So D, the description, we use Palm W. They use that to describe what's on the photo. O, they know to expect to give an opinion of a related theme. And they even know that they can give an opinion, positive or negative, with a reason, without actually knowing what the opinion is on in emergencies. Then tense one is always past tense. Tense two is nearly always future tense can be conditional and then why they give another opinion with the reason why i found it really successful i feel it gives them confidence they feel more prepared as they go into that exam preparation i've given them structures for each part of dotty and if they learn those properly they'll be able to access good marks so fingers crossed hello all my name is john mcgee twitter name john mcgee joe one of the mnemonics we use at leventhorpe is action Action acts as a checklist for students at Key Stage 3 and forms the basis of what is expected in their writing in the first term in Year 7. The letters of action represent A for adjectives, C for connectives, T for time phrases, I for intensifiers, O for opinions, and N for negatives. It's a really easy-to-use tool to evaluate a student's work or even for them to self-evaluate. We simply say, does that contain action? And then they can go off and check it against the criteria. Students like it because it's easy to remember and I usually introduce it on the interactive whiteboard with a picture of a tank or a war movie scene and something they can, I suppose, something memorable for them. Students really enjoy drawing in their own version of a tank or getting one from the internet to stick in and having this, I suppose, memorable experience makes it easy to call upon when needed for homework or in assessments. Because it's so easy to use, in the past we've introduced it to some of our high flyers before explicitly teaching some or all of the grammar points contained in action. They've been able to manipulate the language they know to meet each point, thus making it a good extension task. It only really covers the present tense, but it does serve as a good starting point for students. I hope that helps. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Leanne Chidlow, and I teach French and German to 11 to 16-year-olds in a school in Rutland, UK. My Twitter name is at Frau Chid, and I have to say Twitter is where I find lots and lots of ideas, as well as for the Facebook pages. Um, it's really brilliant for everyone sharing ideas, so thank you. And this idea I found in September last year, and I thought it was a really good one, so I've been using it with my students ever since. 
So actions, it stands for A for adjectives, C is connectives, T is for time phrases and tenses, I is for intensifiers, O is for opinions, N is for negatives, and the S I added onto the end is super duper phrases, so that my students included complex structures and idioms in their work. So the students know now if I say what actions elements have you put in your work, they can self-check. I've also got a stamp that I've had made that I can stamp their work and I can tick and cross the ones that they have and haven't included. So it's been really good and I can use it with all students, so year 7 to 11. I also tend to say to them when we're doing speaking answers, don't forget to bog off, buy one, get one free. So I, if I ask them one question... Um, I want them to answer me two or three or four even so that they extend their answers. So if I say, what do you do this weekend? They tell me what they do. So they tell me what they don't do. They tell me what they'd like to do. They told me what they, they did last weekend. So they really um, get to extend their answers. So thanks for all the brilliant ideas, Twitterati. Let's keep them coming. This idea comes from the Languages Department at Monkseaton High School at MHS Langs. And it's an idea to help pupils particularly at GCSE level, meet the exam criteria for speaking and writing. So we were aware of acronyms such as avocados, but we were looking for something a little snappier and crunchier. And that's how we came up with the idea of Doritos, uh, the D of which stands for detail, O for opinions, R for reasons, I stands for interesting vocabulary, the T is for those crucial tenses, O for other people, so you're not just talking about yourself all of the time. And finally, the S for structure. That would be to include discourse markers, which would help for the narration element, which is essential for the longer 150 word tasks at GCSE. And of course, connectives, which encourage longer developed sentences. So we've established a lovely display in the corridor to give this idea a good high profile. We've created some bookmarks for pupils' books to keep, again, to keep that nice high profile in their exercise books. And already they're responding very well to this idea and we'll just see how it develops in the future. Hi guys, this is at Hannity24 and one of the mnemonics I've come up with is Bumface and I came up with this after a whole day of picture description lessons where my kids basically could only tell me what people were wearing and that was the only thing that was interesting to them. So to get them to give a bit more detail, I came up with Bumface. Bumface starts with B for background, tell them the background, fairly straightforward. U for unusual, I want to hear something interesting about the photo. It doesn't have to be true, but I like my kids to make the examiner smile. M is for making plans. It encourages the kids to use some future tense in there. Uh, tell me what the people in the photo are getting up to later. F for the foreground, again, self-explanatory. A for action. What is actually happening in the picture? I always say to my kids, I want at least three different verbs here, if at all boss. C for characters. Now you can tell me what they're wearing, what do they look like, etc. Give me some detail, maybe name them. Again, make it interesting. E is for emotions. So what are the people in the photo feeling? But also something like, what you feel about the photo, la photo me rend heureuse, or something like that, is always a good example for a slightly more ambitious structure towards the top end, maybe of a GCSE group. So I usually use this at key stage three and four. I introduce it in year nine usually, and uh, I do a lot of different activities with it, but a lot of them involve children shouting bum face when they think I've covered all the elements of bum face in a picture description, or whether they have. So it could be a simple listening where they're, they're listening to me and trying to mark off whether I've said everything to each other, 
noughts and crosses type games or bingo, all kinds of different things really. But it does get them thinking early on about how much they can say and kind of encourage them to give a more ambitious picture description of around sort of 45 seconds to a minute which hopefully is good prep for the uh, year 11. Hi, my name is Michael Hurst. I work at St. Robert of Newminster School in Washington, in the northeast of England. Our Twitter handle is at St. Robert's MFL. And the acronym we use to support students is Complex Spanish First. It's to support students with the quality of their written and spoken Spanish. C of complex is cuando sea mayor. O, ojalá, o ojalá que pueda. M, me gusta, o me gustan. P for present tense. L, lo pase bomba, o lo pase fatal. E, in mi opinión. And X is for exclamation, like, que aburrido, que divertido. S is suelo plus an infinitive. P is for the use of a past tense, like fui. A, fuimos a. E, acabo de, followed by an infinitive. N, no creo que sea, subjunctive phrase. I is for imperfect tense, like cuando era pequeño. S, is for C plus imperfect subjunctive plus conditional. Si pudiera, me gustaría. And H is for hace as a time phrase, or in some cases, desde hace. First, F is future tense, simply voy a or vamos a. I is for the use of irregular verbs. R is for the use of reflexive verbs. S are for sequences, primero, luego, después. And T is for tengo que, followed by an infinitive. It's a long acronym. We don't expect students to remember every single part of it. The good thing is, though, that our most successful students, they annotate that down on written exam papers, and you can see that they know five or six parts of it. And, of course, those five or six points of high-quality language is what helps them become successful in their writing or speaking exams. Our students enjoy it. They use it. It works. I hope it's helpful. Hi, I'm MFL teacher on Twitter, and I'd like to talk to you about the use of a door to help pupils to extend their answers. We use a door with all age groups, use it slightly differently with the younger pupils, but it helps pupils to give more extended answers in both speaking and writing. The A stands for the most important bit, answer. Answer the question. Without this, they're not going to get any marks. So it's really important they answer the question. This could be a simple yes or a no, or a factual statement. D stands for detail, encouraging them to add an extra detail to their work. This could be a frequency, an expression of time, or who they did something with. O stands for opinion. This is usually a love, like, hate sort of expression. And R stands for reason. We use this to encourage them to put a connective in, to allow them to say, because it is, because I think that, and to extend their work this way. E stands for two different things. With the younger pupils, stands for something extra. Can they add something extra? And on the other hand, however, I think that after having done this. With the more GCSE pupils and the exam pupils, it stands for examiner, something that might impress the examiner. Another tense, a different mood, or some extra information, something maybe in the subjunctive, or something that will really impress the examiner. It's a show-off wow sort of phrase. Hi, my Twitter handle is at Señorita Iglesias, and I would like to share what I find two of the most useful mnemonics for Spanish lessons. The first one is one I learned with Rachel Hawks in an AWR conference in Bristol, and it's really handy for students to know what to say, things that they could be using in a photo description, so if they're speaking or writing. So it goes palm W. So P stands for people or physical appearance. A is for action, to say what the people are doing. 
L is for location. Are they outdoors? Are they at home? In France, in Spain, M is for mood, if they're happy, sad. W is for weather. And we have added O and T, so opinions and tenses. So students consider these as well and don't forget to include them. So it's palm what. The second one is one I found on the internet and is to help students remember those exceptions for the differences between ser and estar. So once you teach them that said is more for permanent things and estar is more for temporary ones, these kind of respond to different exceptions of, to this rule. So doctor, use it with ser. So D for date, O for occupation, C for characteristics, es muy bonito, es feo. T is for time, son las tres. O for origin or nationality. And R for relationships, like esta es mi hermana, for example. And then place goes with estar. So P for position, está encima de la mesa. L for location, A for action, estamos hablando. C for condition, mi amigo está enfermo. And E for emotion, estoy contentísima, for example. Uh, so doctor, place. I hope you find them as useful as I have and that you can use them in your lessons. Thank you. Adios. Hi, I'm Chris R. Twitter handle Chris MFLTNL. Thanks to Joe Dale, who contacted me recently and asked me to explain in a few words how I've been using the Prof and Pizarre's revision clock, which I recently put together for my classes and shared on Twitter. Basically, I'm using it to train my GCSE classes to hit all of the bullet points on the 90 word question. And more generally, as a very structured way of teasing out what they're able to say on any given topic. PROF stands for past, reason and opinion and future. PIZAS is my umbrella term for more complex GCSE structures. My pupils, for example, at the moment are quite into if clauses, so they've been filling their PIZAS sections of the clocks with those. The boxes on the lines are just reminders to include some nice connectives to link their ideas together. I tend to get pupils completing these clocks in class, and while I'm circulating the room live marking, I can see at a glance whether their tenses are being produced accurately and whether they're justifying opinions successfully. Where this isn't the case, I can quickly jump in and try to get any misconceptions ironed out. For example, Taylor's oldest time, two weeks ago, in spite of my best efforts and shed loads of practice, a number of pupils were still omitting that all-important auxiliary verb uh, in French in the past tense. I was then able to identify that group of pupils and with some targeted grammar reminders and practice with that group, we closed that gap in their understanding before they went on to write something more formally in an essay style question. As you'll know, this idea of prof pervades the GCSE mark scheme. The top end of the 90 word marking grids require three time frames and justified opinions plural. So using prof consistently as an AFL technique in languages is going to get your pupils covering those aspects of the marking criteria quite consistently. I hope this helps. Feel free to contact me via Twitter if you'd like a copy of the template or anything else. Hi, it's at Miss McConville here talking about how I use prof Facebook marks to help my students with their GCSE writing exam. My higher level students find it really difficult to plan for the 150 word exam question. So we decided to come up with a anagram that could help them ensure that they were meeting all the different points of the marks game, as well as including key phrases that they know and can repeatedly use across different questions and different topics. So we used the Proface anagram, standing for past tense, reasons, opinions, future tense, excellent phrases. And then the S at the higher level was for subjunctive phrases and at foundation was for signposts. 
This anagram was created in a bookmark that had key phrases for each of the letters. For past tense, we had things like fui and tue. And for future tense, we had the two different types of the future tense as well as the conditional. We created this bookmark so when students were practicing for different types of writing questions and different bullet points, they had those key structures that they could repeatedly use. The more we practiced different questions with this, the more they were able to write the questions without the use of the bookmarks as the different phrases and the different structures were committed to memory. This allowed them during their mock writing exams to have an anagram written at the side of the page. So when writing their answer, they were able to tick off each letter and ensure that they included everything that the mark scheme was asking for. This has definitely encouraged my students to be able to identify the different tenses and ensure that they are writing in the correct tense, as well as ensuring that they can put those higher level structures in to reach the higher mark bands. And we're back in the room. So what an amazing range of different ideas from language teachers around the use of mnemonics in the languages classroom. Something for everybody, a real mix there. What did you think, Noah? You know, I just love the enthusiasm that we hear from the variety of voices from all over the place sharing these ideas and strategies that are working for them, their students, and they're just being generous and sharing them with us and our listeners, and I love it. Couldn't agree more. Now, what have we got coming up in the next part of the podcast? Coming up next is our Tech Talk interview with Ranger the Trainer, and Joe and I had an opportunity to sit down with this exciting educational technologist language teacher who is just super prolific right now in all he is creating and sharing. And Joe, do you want to preview anything about the interview? Yeah, really enjoyed our little chat with Ranger the Trainer, a.k.a. Darren White. I think listeners will really enjoy how he's using Google tools in the languages classroom. So over to Darren. Okay, so for this Tech Talk interview for the MFL Twitterati podcast, we have the pleasure of talking to Ranga the Trainer, aka Darren White. And we're really looking forward to drilling down into some of the ways he's using Google tools in particular in the languages classroom. So Darren, do you want to start off by maybe introducing yourself and giving us a little bit of an idea of your teaching background? Yeah, sure. I teach in uh, Whitham in Essex in the UK. I've been a modern language teacher for almost 20 years now. I work across two secondary academies in Whitham, teaching the 11 to 19, principally teaching Spanish, but have also taught French and German in the past as well. I'm a senior leader, have been so for about 10 years, and a Google certified educator and trainer as well. So running events and training for other people as well alongside and, and blogging, obviously. So Awesome. Now, I saw on Twitter recently you were, you just come back from Vienna. Is that right? Doing a training course? Yeah, so I was at the Vienna International Training School doing some work for Apps Events, running a Google support staff boot camp, which was really good, actually. Really intensive day working with all the support staff, looking at how we can integrate Google tools outside of the classroom in terms of the the support staff uh, and the structures that go on behind that. So it was really good, yeah. Really great experience as well. You know, Darren, something that really jumped out at me from your blog post about that training was your comment about how every teacher is an expert at something and that, you know, you kind of really approach it. It seems like that your goal is to kind of help them discover that and really just shine a light on it. Absolutely. Yeah. To a certain extent, I've kind of just found my own way through the Google universe, if you like, from working with other people. I used to work very closely with Dean Stokes, who people may have heard of, who now is working for Google. He kind of got me interested to start off with and I was sharing an office with him. So looking, seeing what he was doing, getting interested for myself he was happy to share and I've kind of taken the same approach and I like to give people the opportunity, just kind of drop in some ideas. Have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about doing that? And then let them fly with it. And you mentioned that, you know, you've been blogging a lot lately and, you know, I did want to ask you about that because it seems like 
a lot of people get started and get really excited right away, and then it's hard to maintain. Whereas you started out with uh, maybe a half dozen, seven, eight posts in 2017 and have tripled that in 2018. Can you talk just a little bit about your process there? Early days, I didn't really know if anyone would either bother listening or, or reading or, or looking at what I was posting. It was more kind of self-indulgence, really, I think. And from there, it's kind of grown, picked up more followers. That's where the kind of the, the MFL Twitterati hashtag came in. I started to spot what kind of hashtags to be looking out for, how to be approaching it, and really just picking up on the ideas that you know lots of educators and trainers and professionals are sharing and then thinking how they could be adapted to different people's situations. And that's really where it came from. There's been periods where I've gone pretty quiet, where school's been quite manic as, as you can imagine uh, but I do try and get on if I don't get onto to blogger and blog fully I do try and get onto Twitter kind of every day just to see what's going on and if if I picked up on a new tip or a new approach or something like that I tend to try and either blog about it or tweet about it or make a short video about it put that on my YouTube and kind of share it around yeah you're definitely a great sharer Darren I think it's fantastic the way that you you write all these blog posts you share really cool videos on some of the ideas particularly uh, Google related that uh, that you're trying out in your classroom I think it's uh, it's fantastic and you're very, very much a valued member of the MFL Twitter art even though you've only come up on my radar as it were for about a year or so, which is which is awesome. So I think for the purpose of this interview, it'd be really helpful to drill down into some of the Google tools and look in particular how they can be used in the languages classroom. So maybe can we start off with Google Keep and Google Docs and your blog post about using GIFs for feedback, for example. Could you maybe describe how that would actually work in reality? Yeah, absolutely. I, I must admit, I did see this posted by somebody else as an idea and I can't for the life of me remember who it was, but it was something that inspired me because I love GIFs. I'm a hockey player. So through the hockey club, we've got sort of WhatsApp groups and we're always sending GIFs to each other. So it, it engaged me immediately. And I thought to myself, well, if it's engaging me, it's got to engage the kids and feedback I responded to feedback was one of the things I think sometimes it can be quite dry as a student when you get your feedback through Google Classroom or through a document or slides that, you know, it's in words, but can you really get from just looking at the words down the side an instant reaction to how good your piece of work was? So I, I looked at that and I thought, well, I'll, I'll have a play around with it. So all I did was I, I found some GIFs. I used um, Giphy.com. found some ones that I liked, some kind of common ones that people might use, some positive ones, some confused looking ones, and some, some, some similar sorts of things like that. I saved those into Google Keep on my phone and then using the Google Keep sidebar that we've now got alongside Docs and Slides and obviously alongside Gmail as well, I just drag those correct GIFs over into the document, whether it's a doc or whether it's a slide, just drop that in there. And then I leave a comment alongside it as well. What I found was that the students loved the surprise of seeing a GIF there. So immediately they were they were much more engaged and they were kind of trying to see who, what, who everybody else had got. Some got Simon Cowell with a thumbs up, some got big applause. and you know. So they really enjoyed that. But more importantly, they jumped straight into trying to improve their work because I said, if you improve it, you'll get a follow-up. And they were keen to see what the next GIF would be. I say GIF because I'm a hard G man, but you know. Have you tried making your own GIFs? For example, when I'm doing training, I'm showing people how to use IMG Play or Image Play to make their own GIFs and then put them into, into say, Google Docs or Google Slides or, or what have you. I haven't done it with my own GIFs from that perspective. I have with Screencastify for instructional GIFs that I've then put into Google Classroom for students to show them exactly how to access something and things like that. So that's another aspect of it. You can import those into the slideshows themselves and actually give them a, a live action instruction of what they could do to improve their work kind of thing. So 
I saw a fantastic tweet from uh, Catherine Ousselin, who, if you don't know, is a world language teacher from the States, so I know no one knows very well. And she tweeted a uh, Google Slides presentation called, I think it was, My Week in GIFs in French. And the idea was that for each day of the week, she had an animated GIF with then some text, a little bit like Storybird, I suppose. And I suggested that was lovely, but why not get the children to become the actors in their own GIFs? I think that would be for languages, would be a great way of promoting writing for sure. The more creative they can be, the better, I think, particularly in this day and age. You know, something that you mentioned there, Darren, that I think a lot of us struggle with that you really keyed on is students actually reading our feedback, right? We take all this time to to give them timely and meaningful feedback. And at the end of the day, a lot of them are just looking at the score and then it goes in the trash can, right? And so, or the delete or whatever, they never look at it again. And you know, you've created this thing where they're not just anticipating the feedback, but actually internalizing, using it to grow. Yeah, I've done that really through using Google Classroom a lot more by returning the work to them with the GIF, with the feedback, but not with the score and telling them that they only get their score when they've improved on what they'd already done. So they only get it to market as completed and they actually get a score for it once they've improved it. Brilliant. Another thing that, that I'm wondering, you know, as you were talking, I'm an older guy. And, and so, you know, I go back to you know, when we would be grading in Microsoft Word and, and some of us from just a process standpoint to speed things up would create what we were called macros. So almost, you know, things that we used over and over again as common feedback. And it sounds like you kind of have taken that into 2019 and beyond with the GIF responses that you're collecting these. They're right there. So with just a quick little drag, you can drop them in there for the feedback without having to go find them every time. Yeah, it's a combination of that and within Google Classroom as well, just using the comment bank and using the hashtags because, again, that searches and finds your most commonly used comments in your comment bank and pulls them in as long as you use the hashtag and the first letter. It starts to pull those in, so it speeds everything up massively. That's awesome. Could we maybe talk a little bit about some other ways in which you can use creativity around Google Slides? So, for example, I was really um, intrigued by your posts around uh, using WhatsApp animation within Google Slides, which I think was an idea you got from Jake Miller. Could you maybe describe how you would use Google Slides for, for an animation outcome? Because that's not necessarily something that's obvious to most people, I would have thought. No, absolutely. I must admit, I saw the post from Jake and was really inspired by it. And one of the things I've done probably for the last 17 or 18 years with my students, particularly sort of year seven and eight, where we're dealing with foundation kind of level topics that they then come back and build on, is I've always got them in the past to put together powerpoints as they go along for each topic with the key language and you know pictures but it was all very static no animation in there and it's really you just come back to it and you read it but at the end of the year they'd pull them all together and they'd have a year seven revision guide they'd put together for themselves and i kind of thought to myself well this is an ideal opportunity to take that to the next stage so what i got my students doing is at the end of year seven last year for example at the end of the first topic where they've been doing introductions and those kind of standard questions that we tend to ask, actually got them to build a stop motion animation using all of the language so that they built a story. So two characters came in, introduced themselves to each other, asked each other a few questions, maybe went off, came back again the next day, asked how they were, uh, maybe introduced them to a friend to use the third person as another character comes into shot and things like that. And the students really enjoyed it. And then what they've done is at the end of that unit, they've just carried that same story on with the same characters, but changed the background scene. So then they moved into introducing their family. So 
in come some other characters and you know they might have been in the park or in the living room or sitting on the Simpsons sofa or whatever it might have been you know and going through exactly the same thing using the same ideas you know dad pops in then mum comes in from the other side and little brother pops up from the bottom and and all these kind of things and then gradually over the year they've built these stop motion videos because they can publish them and they can unpublish them at any point just add to them and then they really enjoyed watching the back and they've loved showing them off to each other and we've put a few in newsletters and things like that so that other people can see them as well yeah that's really nice so for those people who have never heard of one stop animation can you maybe just describe what that is and then practically how you would do that in google slides if that's okay yeah so it's essentially the same process that was used for things like wallace and gromit as the films individual freeze frames but i use google slides with a background image take a character using like a transparent PNG image. So there's no outline in there, create a initial scene. And then I just duplicate the slide and then take the image or the, the character that, that I want to animate and move them maybe one or two steps to the right or to the left, duplicate that, move them again, duplicate again. Then maybe after four or five slides, pop in a speech bubble, duplicate that, pop in the text, maybe hold that for a few frames and then gradually introduce other things. So it's it's built, you know, a, a 10 second stop motion might have a hundred slides in it, but done in exactly the same way as you would with a camera and taking snapshots and then running them all together. Okay. So what would you say to teachers listening to this who maybe feel, okay, I'm doing a hundred slides per student. How long is that going to take in my lesson? What, what would you say to that? Is it value for, for the time it would take to create the animation? Firstly, I think they're transferable skills anyway. So I think it's really important that particularly our younger students start to learn the capabilities of the technology because it's the world they're going to work in. It's going to change massively again by the time they're in into full-time work. But collaborative working uh, and this kind of approach it's the world they're going to grow up in so that's the most important bit from my point of view is that transferable worldwide skill that employers are going to really be looking for in the future but also i tend to start it off in class show them how it's done where they've got the support from me and then send them off to work on it as homework i record a video and animation of me doing it so they've got that to take away with them they can access that at any point and it becomes an ongoing piece of work what i've found is i've said to students i'd like you to come up with a stop motion video that's 30 slides and they've come back with 120 because they've just really got into it and they've loved it and they're really proud of their work so it doesn't have to be done in classroom but it's it's great to be able to then show that to the rest of the class and really celebrate the great examples and for folks who uh heard him mention jake miller he's at jake miller tech and he does amazing tutorials where you know if you're hearing darren getting excited to do this with your kids you know he makes gifts that in 15 seconds teach you how to do this stuff it's actually really accessible and darren i i love so much the point you made about the transfer of skills, right? Because we're in a lot of our school systems battling, you know, to convince our learning communities that we're not just an elective, right? That, that we are this essential part of learning. And I think when we have amazing educators like in the MFL Twitterati who are employing not just language learning, but also these essential skills that regardless of whether or not they go on to be fluent in the target language, they're going to need to be successful in the real world. I couldn't agree more. Um, and more and more, I think to a certain extent, and I know there's been lots of conversations on Twitter about how language learning moves forward in terms of the relevance of the content of some of the exams that we we deal with in the minute, you know, standing in front of a class and saying, so imagine you're going to phone up and book a hotel room and they quite quickly come back and say, why would you ring? You just go on booking.com. <laughs> right. 
And, you know, it's that, that might be a really great transition to another post that we really liked that you talked about was the voice typing in Google Docs to create dictations. Maybe you could share a little bit about that. Yeah, that really came from working with a group of year 11s who were struggling with their confidence and they wanted to practice their speaking. But when they were trying to practice at home, they didn't have anybody at home that could tell them whether they were doing a good job or not. So we just kind of played around with voice typing in Google Docs, really. So went to tools, select voice typing and set the language to Spanish and just got them talking to the document. You know, my angle with them was if Google as an automated feature can understand in Spanish what you're saying, it must be pretty good because it's not like me being sympathetic, knowing what you're trying to say. This is just working off a database. And if it can, if you can understand what you're saying, you must be doing a good job. So they really liked the fact that they could go away and they could play around with that. But also they then used it for redrafting. Rather than having to rewrite everything, they could re-say it and produce their second draft just by pronouncing it. Rather than having to sit and hand-write everything or hand-type everything, they could just re-record it, re-speak it, keep practicing and every time. And they could compare almost like the old kind of look, cover, write, check. They'd do one version and then they'd go away 10 minutes later, they'd do it again and compare the two and see how similar they were as well because it's so easy to do and probably about 95% accurate, I'd say. And I think lots of people don't actually know that voice typing exists in Google Docs. So I think that um, having that as a feature for languages is amazing. And I remember being really inspired by a tweet that you put out there quite recently, I think, when you were showing how you could actually use voice typing in Google Docs to create a transcription of a video. Can you maybe describe uh, that feature? Because I know that's something that language teachers have been asking for for ages. How, what's an easy way of transcribing a video so you've got the text? So basically all I did is I had a video on screen and I had the Google Doc on screen. The video was on, on YouTube. I just play the video on YouTube and turn on the voice typing and let it just listen to itself effectively. And it's not 100%, but you can just tidy it up a little bit afterwards, you know, so it, it certainly does make things a lot easier. And particularly if you're just looking for a short clip on news items and things like that, it's quite handy. Also, you know, with the potential as well to on YouTube to slow things down, just to make it that little bit more intelligible sometimes. It also, I think, going to back to that idea that you brought up of the transfer of real world skills and getting them to think beyond the classroom, you know, one of the global just readiness and sustainability goals, like things are like accessibility, right? That... You know, if they're creating a video and making a transcript for it in the target language, they're not just communicating, you know, in presentational speaking and writing. They're also taking something and internalizing, you know what, it might be really important for my neighbors who are deaf and hard of hearing to be able to see this text. Absolutely. Now, we've looked so far at Docs, at Slides, at Google Keep. We haven't touched on Google Sheets at all, which is maybe technology which most language teachers, apart from heads of department using it for data crunching, wouldn't necessarily think about using in the languages classroom. But you came up with a really cool idea of using it for uh, auto-translation. Can you talk a bit about that, please? Yeah, again, that was one I saw. It might even have been Jake again that shared that one. I think it possibly was. So the, the opportunity to just use the formula Google Translate and then take from one language and automatically translate single words into another. So I took that to my year sevens and we played around with it a little bit and they really liked the idea. So what they did is they created their own word bank and they decided on the different topics from that they would want to include. So the topics that we were going to cover during the course of the year, but also additional things like connectives, you know, opinion words and things like that. They put the formulas into the different columns and then whenever they want to look up a word, they use their, their vocab bank rather than using Google Translate. And although it's still using Google Translate, one of the problems that they said they were having and I was finding was the temptation to use Google Translate is there. 
You know, there's no getting away from it to a certain extent, and it can be really, really useful. But what they were doing, they were looking it up, and then as soon as they'd looked it up and they'd written it down in a piece of work, they were forgetting it, and they couldn't then remember it. And years ago, we used to have sort of vocabulary books and things like that. This is kind of just a a modern-day version of that. You look a word up, and instead of it just disappearing because you've shut the screen or you've shut that window, it's there, and it's there for next time. And gradually, across the year, it grew. I had one student who tried to import the whole of the English dictionary which was quite interesting, (laughs) but he got some interesting results out of it and he loved it. So it's that approach to actually having their own bespoke bank of resources and everybody's was different, which was actually quite nice. And then we got them to share with each other and to see what other language had come up from there as well. That's great. And if someone wanted to replicate that, how easy would it be to um, put in the, the formula that they would need? It's really simple. You just click in the cell you want. You just equals Google Translate very easy to Google the exact codes, but you just put in inverted commas, EN for English and change to ES for Spanish, for example, close a formula, and then it does it automatically. And you just drag that formula down. And we've also used it in school for our students who've got English as a second language for their, their subject teachers, a different tab for every subject. They've put in their command words that are important for the language, and then it's translated automatically to Arabic or Polish or whatever other secondary language we've had so that that student's been able to access that on their device in the classroom and been able to understand more about what's going on in those early days where they're still picking up the language. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, I, I think we've touched on this a, a lot already about the real-world skills that you can pick up by using Google Tools. That's really uh, amazing. Another feature of Google Tools, which I really like for promoting independence, is the explore function in uh, Docs, sheets, and uh, slides. Could you talk a little about that, how that could be used directly in languages? The explore function is fantastic. Firstly, within Google Docs, you've got the option to find things directly, quote them, pull them directly in and annotate them and and cite them correctly. So particularly in A-level, if you're looking at more advanced research, you've got the option to, to credit your research to the correct books, to the correct authors, really, really simply without having to to work very hard at all. Equally, you can use it sometimes to to find within a document, if you think to yourself, actually, that looks familiar, you can kind of highlight that text and search it. And sometimes Explore throws it out that it's come from this particular work directly, which can help with plagiarism and things like that as well. Within Slides, really useful for kind of designing templates rather than spending hours trying to come up with a template that looks interesting. What I tend to do is find an image that suits, drag it in to my slideshow, click explore and it suggests a whole different range of different templates that look a lot better in about two seconds than I would come up with in about 15 minutes, you know. And then obviously within Google Sheets, fantastic for questioning data, which could be great, as you were saying earlier, Joe, for heads of department, but also, for example, if you've done a survey as a group of a class and then asking those questions and getting the answers out really quickly and then responding to the graphs and the charts that it produces, potentially in the target language as well. Darren, thank you so much for these amazing ideas. I especially love closing there with that idea that we can expand beyond the four walls of our classroom, you know, and be truly global with our language learners and collaborating. And, you know, I think that also calls back to your points about preparing our students for the 21st century workplaces in which we need them to be successful one day using these amazing tools. For those of you who aren't already following him, Darren White is at Ranga the Trainer on the Twitter and uh, definitely check out his blog. Darren, thank you so much for your time and for joining us on the MFL Twitterati podcast. Uh, It's been a pleasure and just hope people get just a little snippet out of it. And that's the most important thing. And then have a play. 
Wow, thank you so much, Darren White, a.k.a. Ranger, the trainer, for sitting down with me and Joe for that interview. We really appreciate your time. Listeners, we've had our takeaway, our radar, our mnemonic show-and-tell, that great interview with Darren White. And Joe Dale, give people a heads up on what we have coming up with our Tech Talk interview in Episode 6. Coming up in the next episode, Episode 6 of the MFL Twitterati podcast, our focus is going to be on the use of football, or soccer, as you'd say, in the U.S., and how that can be used to enhance language learning and to motivate students. And our Tech Talk interview is going to be with the lovely Vincent Everett, who's using soccer as part of his flipped learning approach with PowerPoints, and his use of chunking to promote exam revision for speaking. The MFL Twitterati Podcast, celebrating the voices of the modern language teaching community. If you've enjoyed this episode of the MFL Twitterati podcast, please rate and review us on Apple's podcast app so more language teachers can find us. You can subscribe to the MFL Twitterati podcast on the Apple podcast app, Google podcasts, Overcast or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast. For information, go to our podcast site, mfltwitteratipodcast.com where there are lots of references to this episode's content and all the previous episodes too. 